Hi, it's Dave. Should you take more risk or should you diversify? It's an age-old question and in this video, I'm gonna share my thoughts on this topic and you might be surprised with what I have to say. I've been getting some great questions from viewers recently, and here's a question from Chris Guthrie. He says, Dave, I've watched nearly every single one of your videos. I've been long Tesla since late 2016 and early 2017. What I want to know is how you pay your monthly bills today. Do you have lower risk cash flowing investments that cover your cost of living and then use other wealth to invest in companies like Tesla? What I'd like to do is further build out more passive investments to cover my monthly expenses so I can pour any amount of excess capital for larger bets, either on a potential 10X investment or in one of my own business ideas. Right now, my monthly expenses are covered by a few online businesses, but the cash flow from these businesses isn't as guaranteed for the long term as something like a combination of assets like municipal bonds, REITs, which are real estate investment trusts, a dividend income ETF, etc. All right, this is a fantastic question from Chris, and I wanna take actually a look at some of the deeper themes first, and then I'll go ahead and circle back to the specific questions he's asked. I think the bigger topic and question at hand is how you view risk and diversification. Now with risk and diversification, this is a very individual and personal topic because every person's situation is different. And so I can't speak to everyone. I'm just gonna share my own personal view on risk and diversification. Here's how I view risk and diversification. First, I think it's important to dive into what are the main goals a person has with their finances. And I divide these goals into two main categories. The first category is to cover your current and future living expenses. Now this type of goal you're probably very familiar with. It's the goal of kind of retirement that many people have, or it's a goal that some people call financial freedom or financial independence, where you don't have to work necessarily to cover your current living expenses. And also you have your future living expenses is covered somehow as well. Other people call it retiring early or even some people generally call it being wealthy. I personally don't really like any of these names, especially like financial freedom or financial independence because I kind of am a believer that almost anything can happen in life. And our future security really isn't 100% guaranteed or secure for anyone. So I don't really like definitive terms or terms that make you think that something is so guaranteed or foolproof. And that's why I don't really like the word securing your future or guaranteeing a future as well. There's a certain fragility to life that I like to be very close with and always cognizant of. On the other hand, there's a resilience to life as well. And so I'd like to hold these two somewhat opposing views in one hand together. So let's say, hypothetically, you have enough assets to cover your current living expenses and your future living expenses for let's say 100 years. I like to still think of that in terms of probabilities. There's still a chance a small chance that something happens that's catastrophic or something that you just didn't expect to happen. And the chances might be low. It might be less than 1% that something catastrophic or completely unexpected happens. But yet I like to still be aware of those type of risks. Anyways, I'm probably extreme in this regard. Like for example, I view the era that we live in as quite unique. We've experienced an unprecedented just history of wealth and growth and currently actually lots of peace and prosperity. And oftentimes, historically, these type of periods don't last forever. For example, now this is a complete hypothetical, probably 0.0001% chance, but let's say a huge asteroid hits our planet and let's say it wipes out, you know, half the human race or even more, there goes your so-called financial independence. 
Governments in the past, if you look hundreds or thousands of years into history, there's been precedents where governments have seized immense amount of assets from different classes of people. And you might think that this is kind of a far-fetched, you know, remote, impossible situation, but there's always that small chance. Look at the hundreds of millions of people that were in communism for many, many decades. Those people, I bet, didn't expect to live a generation or two in communism. So what you think might be financial independence and financial security, it's never 100% guaranteed. All right, here's another thought regarding you know, covering your current and your future living expenses. A lot of people just look at the benefits of that. And there are quite a few benefits to having enough assets or income to actually cover your current and your future living expenses. And I don't wanna downplay that. And it's especially beneficial for those who are struggling to even cover their current living expenses. It's almost like a dream to be able to think that you can cover your current and your future living expenses with assets that you have and it frees up an immense amount of time and freedom and does relieve a lot of stress. However, there are certain downsides also to have the type of assets or income where you don't have to worry about your current or future expenses. Oftentimes it's easy to become detached from financial struggle or financial anxiety. And oftentimes people get, I think, overly dependent on some sort of stash of capital or assets. And I'm not really sure if that's that's really helpful for their character or for their empathy for others. And for me personally, the character part is actually more important and more valuable than the assets. Anyways, I think there are various ways to get to this place where you can cover your current and your future living expenses. One of the big questions though is how passive do you want that solution to be, but also how secure compared to let's say other type of solutions do you want that solution to be? Let's give some examples. You can use your time and energy and work for your current expenses and also your future expenses. For example, you can work until the day you die. Let's say you're 90 years old and you're still working trying to cover your future expenses. That's one way actually to cover your current and future expenses. The challenge with that approach comes when you become older, there's risks involved where you might lose your faculties, your health might become fragile, and you might not be able to actually put in the time and energy and the strength to work for your living expenses. So the traditional and conventional approach has been to try to save up enough assets while you're able to work so that later when you're quote unquote retired, that you'll have enough assets to cover those living expenses, especially in the times when you're not able to work for yourself. With this approach of trying to cover your future living expenses, I divide up these approaches in two categories. The first category is what I call a typical shrinking retirement fund. And what this means is you have a certain amount of assets Let's say you have $800,000 in the bank. And let's say you're 70 years or 75 years old. Let's say every year you have to pull money out of that asset and that asset kind of shrinks over time. And maybe you might combine it with social security income and cover your living expenses. And at the age of, let's say, over 70 years old, it's hard to put, let's say, a large amount, let's say $800,000 into some growth company because of the risk and volatility associated with it. And because of that, you typically need to gravitate to more safer assets, something like, uh, bonds or dividend paying mutual funds or annuities or even some stable real estate. And that makes sense because preservation is a greater goal than let's say appreciation at that age. Another factor regarding the shrinking retirement fund is that the interest you get, let's say from the $800,000, let's say it's not enough to cover your living expenses, even combined with social security 
let's say if it's there. And because of that, you need to cash out and sell those assets increasingly over time. And sometimes it works out for people where they die before their assets run out. However, other times their assets might shrink faster than they expected. Maybe there's some health complications or unexpected expenses, and it gets more stressful as they get older because their retirement fund is shrinking. The second type of retirement fund or approach is what I call a growing retirement fund. Now, I don't really hear people talking about this that much, but I think actually it's an important concept. Let's say for example, you have $2 million in assets, but let's say this $2 million is in an amazing real estate property. Let's say it's a commercial or residential in a very stable, just kind of like area that's primed for future growth. And let's say from that property, you make a net profit of $70,000 per year. And with that $70,000, you're able to cover all of your living expenses. Let's say maybe even without social security income. And in addition, the real estate, let's say appreciates over time, because let's say it's in an amazing area that's really primed for growth. In this scenario, your assets actually can increase over time. Your $2 million, let's say, real estate portfolio can actually grow and actually can go bigger while the income that that provides covers all of your living expenses. And the source of income doesn't necessarily have to be real estate. It can be from a different variety of sources. But the main point of this is that it's no longer a shrinking retirement fund where the assets are decreasing over time, but rather it's a growing retirement fund where the assets are increasing and still covering your living expenses. And I'd like to kind of dichotomize these two retirement fund approaches because because I think generally speaking, traditional, conventional kind of financial advice really just takes retirement as this one thing. Just save up an unknown kind of amount of assets and hopefully th that amount of assets will cover you for the rest of your life. But however, by dividing kind of this, these concepts into a shrinking retirement fund and in, in a growing retirement fund, I think it's clearer to see kind of like the differences of these different approaches. The great thing about a growing retirement fund, because your living expenses are covered and because the total amount of assets is growing over time, it's a relief in terms of how you're gonna be able to cover your future expenses. So then there's the question of like, how do you get enough assets to have a growing retirement fund? But before for that question, I think we need to ask how much assets do we need to actually have a growing retirement fund? And I think this is very different for each person. Every person has a different level kind of of living expenses and standard of living. And there's also a lot of countries out there. Some people might be living in a high cost country versus maybe a low cost country. And that changes the equation immensely. However, as a rough figure, for every $3,000, I'm talking US dollars right now, of living expenses that you need covered, I think you need about a million dollars of assets. And this varies greatly and there's a lot of factors involved. So it's more of a general concept I want to explain here. Let's use an example with real estate. Now I'm kind of a big fan of understanding lots of different areas and I think actually it's very important to understand a lot of the concepts with real estate and with business. In terms of real estate though, there's a concept of capitalization rate or cap rate. And what this means is for the assets that you put into let's say a real estate property, let's say you put $1 million to buy a real estate property. The capitalization or cap rate is the net profit that you're gonna get off of that property on an annual basis. So for example, for that $1 million property, let's say you get $40,000 of annual net profit income. What that means is you've paid all of your property taxes, you've paid all of your operating expenses, even the management fees, right, for that real estate property. And the leftover amount is, let's say, $40,000 of net income. The way you figure out the cap rate is the $40,000 is basically 4% of the million-dollar property. So the cap rate is 4%. And now this is kind of standard. If you look at a very 
like desirable, kind of a great area, the cap rates for some real estate is usually between three to 4% or so. If you go into areas that are kind of like so-so, it might go five or six or seven, and you can even go higher eight or nine or 10% if the area really isn't desirable at all. And again, a lot of these figures aren't set in stone and there's lots of variables involved. But let's say you did put a million dollars and let's say you did get a 4% cap rate, which is $40,000 in net income, basically that would cover your $3,000 of living expenses. So let's say you had actually $6,000 of living expenses, then you basically would need like a $2 million property with a 4% cap rate, and that would give you like $80,000 or so, right? And that would cover your $6,000 a month in living expenses, which would be about $72,000 a year. But one qualification here, I don't think it's actually that easy to find a great property. A lot of people are too hasty. They're just trying to find something so quick, and if they have cash or they have money, they just wanna put it into something Something that just looks appealing right away. However, finding a great property is kind of like finding that great 10x stock. It's like you really need to search and you really need to understand what a great property is. Anyways, maybe that can be covered in future videos. But for now, I'm talking about risk and diversification. So here's my preferred approach to investing. I like to get to the place where my current and future living expenses are covered with, let's say, relatively safe assets. Let's say, hypothetically, my living expenses are like $6,000 a month, then I want something hypothetically that can give that $6,000 a month in relatively past and safe income. And in terms of, let's say, that real estate example with cap rate that I use, it would probably require probably a $2 million property or so. However, there are lots of different options in terms of kind of more relatively safer kind of income producing assets out there. So once you've kind of established this growing retirement fund, then I like to invest the rest into what I call the true maximum potential of investing. In other words, I like to really look at the essence of investing and I like to see where can we get the max amount of gains for let's say low to moderate risk. Sure, there's never gonna be investments that are zero risk at all. And I don't think, and I'm not a big believer that you have to have high risk in order to have high return. But I'm a believer that a lot of times people miss the true max potential of investing, which I think is more of a low to moderate risk with super high return. I think they miss that opportunity because they're so focused on preservation and they're so focused more of a kind of on a fear-driven approach. However, when you've kind of already secured kind of a growing retirement fund, and in a way you've dichotomized this where it's put aside in a separate complete asset class and it's not even touchable, let's say for example, kind of frees you up to approach investing in a completely different mindset. No longer are you bound in a box of self-preservation and no longer are you scared of losing it all. Rather, you have a edge where you can see things maybe a little bit more objectively. And in that type of scenario, I think when you can add increasing kind of business skills and increasing investment skills and quantitative and qualitative analysis and really try to hone your forecasting abilities, that's when the big payoffs I think happen. And I'm not necessarily just a sole proponent where I think you know, it has to be investing in stocks or so. There's the world of business and investing is so immense and so huge. There are opportunities in many different fields. For example, I think business is fantastic. You know, if you have an idea and you can actually invest capital, let's say you have already a secure growing retirement fund and you can make some bolder bets maybe that you weren't able to make before. Or let's say it could be like, you know, a chain of restaurants or it could be real estate development. I mean, there's tons and tons of different opportunities and options out there. Now, one of the questions is, let's say you haven't secured kind of that growing retirement fund, so then what's kind of
kind of the approach in terms of investing. Now this becomes kind of a muddled area. And if you don't have, let's say that growing retirement fund, let's say already secured, then there's gonna be this element of preservation and the risks involved are gonna be far greater. And now of course, this is all gonna be your personal kind of decisions and your own responsibilities. But the decisions you make to invest, let's say in high growth companies, they come with risks. And you might think it's like low risk, but maybe your skills aren't really up there where it really is mitigating the risk. And so it actually turns out to be very high risk. And throughout the years of being involved in various investment communities out there online, I've seen dozens and probably hundreds of examples of people who thought that they were involved in investments of low risk, but they're actually high risk and they've lost, you know, half or even the majority of their entire life savings. On the flip side, you always hear of these like success stories, right? Of people, let's say you started out with $10,000 or $50,000 and they made it into $10 million, you know, by taking these super high risks. But for every one person that you hear making it with these enormous type of risks, there's probably a good 20, 30, 50, or even 100 people that took enormous risks and came out on the other side they came out in a way more devastated. If you're going to try to, let's say, secure kind of like that growing retirement fund, my kind of preference is more on business and income. And the reason why I say this is I think there's a lot of control you can have when you start your own business. The internet has really opened the door of I think business opportunity where knowledge you can get from so many different places. Let's say even right now with this YouTube channel. And now there's more opportunities to see where are the opportunities out there to start new businesses. And the cost of entry to get into a new business is lower than ever before. And I think like great business skills where you're able to identify opportunities, you're able to create great products, you're able to promote them and kind of run and execute a business, I think is completely underrated in today's society. And what I mean by underrated is I don't think there's enough people who are really gravitating and grasping and seeking out those type of skills. These type of skills in terms of business really open up new opportunities to identify like places where you can jump in and really create value and really increase your assets and income. And this is kind of like one of the reasons why I love this question from Chris Guthrie, because he's really putting his marbles where I think is wise. He's putting him into businesses that he's starting and he's really trying to build up his business skills. And he has this vision or this idea that if he can get these businesses off the ground, increase his income, then and find a way to cover, let's say his living expenses, both current and future, then he can find a way to pour additional wealth into greater opportunities for investment. So what Chris has really caught on to is he's caught on to this dichotomy of benefits, right? The benefits of being able to cover your current and future living expenses with relatively safe assets that are maybe set aside completely different maybe in a completely different asset class and using the extra funds to invest in high growth, kind of the max potential investing, low to moderate risk, but super high gains. And one of the main reasons why I think this approach kind of works for me and makes sense for me is because to a certain point, we have to ask ourselves, like, why are we making money or why are we investing? And I think there's really two distinct goals here. One goal is maybe, yeah, to cover your current and future living expenses. But after that's covered, then what's the point? Like, why invest further? And that's where I kind of came up with my own conclusion that, yeah, it doesn't really make sense that once you've covered kind of like your current and future living expenses, it doesn't make sense to have a focus on preservation. Because like, what's the point, let's say, of preservation beyond a certain point? Some people might argue, well, I want to pass on generational wealth, right, to my kids. And when I hear that, I kind of cringe a little bit because I'm like, huh, what's the point, let's say, of generational wealth? I mean, sure, maybe to a certain extent you can help them get started, but really to pass along, let's say, you know, five, ten million dollars or even more so their kids don't ever have to work, like, that kind of doesn't really make sense to me. For me, I'd much rather pass on to my kids 
tools. I'd rather pass on thinking, an ability to discern. I'd rather pass on an ability for them to be able to look at things and get to the truth, to unbox things that other people are taking for granted and get to solutions that other people aren't seeing. I wanna pass on to my kids the ability to spot opportunity. I wanna pass on to my kids the ability to analyze and to have clear forecasting for the future. I wanna pass on to my kids long-term thinking and critical thinking. And in a world that's so focused on short-term things and so enamored by following the herd, I think if I can pass on to my kids these essential, kind of timeless skills I think are unique and rare in this world, that they'll be fine. Money won't be an issue for them. Society clamors, right? Money, money, money is like the most valuable thing. But when I look at that, I'm like, huh, I'd rather pass on actually the more valuable thing, which is the mindset. Right? It's the approach, it's the values, and it's the thinking. And then some people might say, well, with more money, and if you have you know, tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, you can spend it more and enjoy your life more. And I think, well, you know, to a certain degree that might be true. Sure, you might get a bigger house or a boat or a yacht or even buy like a Gulfstream you know, jet, and all of that stuff might increase your enjoyment of life a little bit more. But however, in reality, I think the biggest jump actually comes from zero to one. For example, when you don't have a car, and you get your first car. Like that's a big jump. After that, it gets incremental. It gets from like one to 1.1 or so, right? Or if, if you didn't have a house and you get your first house, that's a big deal. Like from going zero to one is a big deal, but after a certain point, it just doesn't get that much better. And it's kind of like, do we really need like a bigger house or a bigger TV? And it comes to a certain point where it's like, hey, yeah, do we need actually like the biggest house in the world? Or do we need like the most fanciest things? I mean, look at Jeff Bezos. He recently bought 165 million dollar house in Beverly Hills. Now he has houses and residences all over in New York City and Texas and Seattle and a bunch of places and for him to add like whatever his 10th house or so is probably not that big of a deal. You might think oh my gosh fantastic house but for him the level of enjoyment that's increased is probably not as great as you might imagine. In fact it carries additional concerns like who's going to live in that house all the time when he's not there? Who's going to take care of it? Who's going to clean the house? Who's going to maintain the grounds? And so while I'm not going to argue like having the 10th or 11th or even the 20th house does make you maybe incrementally more happy or fulfilled. Maybe it does, I don't know. But what I am gonna say is I don't think that that incremental, let's say, jump is really that significant in the bigger picture. So after kind of a certain point, if let's say you have a growing retirement fund, what's the point of investing? Like why do I invest? And I think you know, one decent reason could be maybe helping others. And I think assets beyond a certain point actually kind of opens up the ability to help others in two different ways. First, it can open up your time, where no longer are you kind of in the daily grind having to work for your current living expenses, but it opens up your time so you can actually help people in the way that you want to. And the second way it opens up kind of the opportunity to help people is through the assets that you have that you can invest in their lives and to solve different problems. And actually another reason that I've discovered along the way of kind of why invest, right? Even let's say you have a growing retirement fund, why invest kind of for max potential? And in my opinion, investing is kind of like a metaphor. We might be trapped into thinking, yeah, investing is for investing or is to make money or to grow wealth. But in the bigger picture, I think investing actually signifies and shows us a lot more to life. In fact, personally, I've taken so many principles from other areas and applied it to investing and vice versa. I've taken so many principles from investing and applied it to other areas of my life. And in a lot of ways, it's about uncovering or unlocking things that aren't necessarily apparent, but that have deep, profound truth to it. And I think investing can be much more profound than what most people give it credit for. All right, so let's circle back to Chris's original question here. He says, what I wanna know is how you pay your monthly bills today. Do you have 
lower risk cash flowing investments that cover your cost of living and then use your wealth to invest in companies like Tesla. So yes, currently I have some real estate that produces income and that income is enough to cover our living expenses currently and probably into the future. And so in that sense, to kind of secure kind of a growing retirement fund. And that's allowed me to invest the rest of the money that we make in a business that we've been running for many years into kind of max growth, max potential investment opportunities. And it's kind of freed me up a lot actually from the preservation or fear focused kind of traditional approach of investing. And it's really helped me to dive into what the true essence and true potential of investing could be. A lot of people in the comments have asked like, oh, what's your portfolio look like? And I've been kind of hesitant to share this because yeah, if I share, oh, my portfolio is near 100% or near complete Tesla and it's been so for many years, I think a lot of people can mistake that and say, oh, look, Dave is all in with Tesla, therefore I can be all in with Tesla. But the risk profile or the risk approach is very different. For me, all of this extra kind of assets that I'm putting into, let's say a company like Tesla, it's more in my mind like extra money. And so it's not something that I'm taking a necessarily a big risk for my current or future living expenses for. In other words, like I can put 100% of all of my liquid assets and every penny, let's say, hypothetically, I own into a Tesla stock, but it doesn't carry the same risk as someone else, let's say, who doesn't have, let's say, a growing retirement fund, the risk that that carries. And so, yeah, I do actually have some concerns for people who have 100% of their total assets, let's say, in a company, let's say, like Tesla. While it might seem like, oh, Tesla has a great future, there are always risks that we don't know about or we might not be aware of completely. Let's say maybe you have, let's say, $100 million in Tesla stock, and let's say it goes down 90%, you're left with $10 million. Maybe in that case, sure, you had 100% in Tesla, you'll be okay because you can still cover your current or future living expenses. However, let's say you have like $300,000 and it's all in Tesla stock. And let's say you're 50 years old and you don't have that much time, let's say, to retirement. And let's say something unexpected or catastrophic happens. Tesla shrinks, let's say, 60, 70% or 80%. I don't know what the scenario could be. And in that case, there are greater consequences, let's say, when an investment doesn't work out in the way you think it will. However, there are different caveats to that because investing is so complex and that's why I can never give, let's say, personal financial advice, let's say, with investing. Because let's say you're younger and you can recover more quickly. Maybe that's a little different. Or let's say you have a very high income. Let's say you're making like $400 or $500,000 a year and you invest, let's say, hundreds of thousands, let's say, into a stock. In that case, you can recover that loss a lot quicker. So your risk profile is different than a person who's making, let's say, $50,000 a year. All right, going back to Chris's question, he continues and says, what I'd like to do is further build out more passive investments to cover my monthly expenses so I can pour any amount of excess capital for larger bets, either on a potential 10X investment or in one of my business ideas. Right now, my monthly expenses are covered by a few online businesses, but the cash flow from these businesses isn't as guaranteed for the long term as something like a combination of assets like municipal bonds, REITs, a dividend income ETF, etc. Yeah, Chris, I think you actually are on a great track. A lot of your thinking actually resonates with me. And it's kind of like this idea to create kind of more safer income and streams of income where you can cover our current and future living expenses and then to use the other capital to invest into kind of the max potential of investing into these big winners. And also I'm a big fan of kind of like low risk, high reward business opportunities. And I think actually it's a fantastic thing to start small and to build up these business skills. I think the ability to spot business opportunities and the ability to execute, right, to deliver value, to deliver products and services that people want, I think this is an underappreciated, underrated value. If more people appreciate this, yeah, I think they would be seeking it out and really learning more of these skills. I've been to Chris's website and it looks like he's doing some great things. And there's another viewer on my channel named Pat Flynn and he comments sometimes in the comment section. And he runs a podcast called Smart Passive Income Podcast where he highlights kind of different business owners and entrepreneurs who have started their own businesses and created these streams of income. If my channel is able to continue into the future, yeah, I'd love to cover more of these 
topics of business, of identifying opportunities, like creating product, delivering value, and really kind of growing kind of the income to cover your current and future living expenses in order to get a growing retirement fund. And that would allow a lot of freedom to invest into more of these max potential investing opportunities. Anyways, if you like this video, please like it. Add any questions in the comment section. I love it when I get great questions. It really helps to make like these videos a lot more interesting and fun for me to do. Also, please go ahead and share this video with others. Put it on Facebook, on Reddit, on forums, email it to people. Get the word out. It's really going to help out this channel. Anyways, we'll see you in my next video. Thanks.